Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. I ask you to turn to Hebrews 13 this morning where we were just a moment ago. And we're going to continue on in the uh, practical exhortation section of this letter to the churches this morning. We're nearing the end of our study in Hebrews. After today, we just got one more sermon um, next week, and um, then we'll have our graduation Sunday on the uh, 12th, and then Father's Day, and then we'll begin a new series near the end of the month. But um, it's my hope and prayer that this series has been a blessing to you, and as we've gone through Hebrews, you've learned things that maybe you didn't know before uh, about uh, God, and uh, most importantly, that you've been motivated to behold our superior Savior, Jesus Christ, maybe in a new way, Uh, maybe in a reinforced way, you've come to find out that Jesus is better. The first six verses of chapter 13 that we looked at a few weeks ago, it gave us some practical uh, commandments for how disciples of Jesus are to live in the moral spheres of our lives, our relationships with others, including our spouses, um, but verses 7 and 19, they really address the, the spiritual or religious realm of our lives. There's a message here concerning or regarding church leaders, um, also one about corporate worship, one that uh, a message to tell us about our mission and, and our outreach to those who don't know Jesus Christ yet. So before we begin looking at this verse by verse, let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Father, we come to you because we cannot... Um, truly understand your word or respond to it without your Holy Spirit's help. So we pray for his ministry of illuminating the truth of your word to us to be completely unobstructed this morning. May sin, Satan, self, any other distractions, um, Lord, break them down so that we can come to your word. We come to it hungry this morning, wanting to know it because we want to know you wanting to know what it is you offer us and what it is you expect of us. And then, Lord, when you show that to us, I pray that we would respond in a way that is truly glorifying to you, that is worship. That's what we're here for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, verse 7, the first instruction we have regarding the religious sphere of the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we are to follow our leaders, I'll be honest with you, in the past few weeks during my study of this passage, it's a little unnerving uh, for me. Uh, It ought not be, because when we read verse 7, it says we are to follow our leaders regarding their exhortation. God begins this address in verse 7 for how disciples of Jesus Christ, how Jesus' followers are to live in the religious realm of their life by commanding Christ's disciples to remember them that have the rule over you, who has spoken unto you the word of God. Now remember, it's the English translation of the Greek word money manuo, and uh, it just means to call to mind. 
to keep in mind. So you're being told here to call to mind your leaders, to keep them in mind. So that's obviously not the unnerving part or uncomfortable part for me. I want you all to do that. Please uh, keep me in mind so that you keep me in your prayers. Um, it's what follows next, right? Them which have the rule over you is what the King James Version says. And when we go to the original language again, the Greek word for rule, I take a big exhale uh, because it simply means, um, it means to lead the way. Remember those who lead the way, who help lead you in the way. Isn't that what a pastor or a deacon or any kind of church leader should be doing? As, yeah, that's what they're, that's what we're, you're, I'm being told to do here in this passage. That's what you're being told to do is to remember those who lead you in the way. And God encourages all disciples of Jesus Christ to remember these church leaders, to, to keep them in mind uh, because of and in line with the predominant way that they lead. I think this is a key part here for understanding it and not misapplying it, um, as, as some church leaders may. Uh, what is the predominant way that we're to lead? Through the word of God that is spoken to you. That is how that's supposed to take place. Their leading should be a leading of you to the word of God. Now, if it isn't, if that leading is dictating, as in a dictator, or demanding, if it's bullying, or if it's manipulating, well, there's a serious issue there. Uh, much like the Bible's exhortations for you and I all to obey our political or our governmental leaders, if a church leader's message or his leadership doesn't line up with the word of God, well, then following them is not the right thing to do. Um, church, it is my firm Bible-based belief that this right here is sufficient to lead you. It's an errant I am not inerrant. You want to quote that? <laughs> I am not inerrant. I'm not sufficient. But this is, this is both. It's inerrant and it's sufficient to lead you. And I know that's the conviction of my teammates here in ministry. Uh, I'm thankful for them. But Pastor Tommy, Pastor Daniel, they are not inerrant. And we're probably not going to be sufficient all the time. But God's word is. I know that's also uh, the perspective of the deacons that I'm so thankful for, that God has chosen through you to help lead our church. Please understand, we do not need to come up with um, or, or cast some vision that we might claim God has given us uh, as far as leading this church. Don't, do you understand that we are all given all the vision we need right here? I get really nervous when I hear church leaders talk about some vision God gave them. As long as they got it from here, I'm good with it. But we all have it then. Um, we have all the vision we need right here. And, and it's our role as church leaders to help communicate that vision through the word of God spoken to you and, and to motivate you to align your values and your choices and your actions with the word of God. Now, more on this later but God also encourages disciples of Jesus Christ here to remember those who lead Christ's church in regard to their example. That's what it says in the second part of verse 7. It says, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. 
So the disciple of Jesus Christ is to keep their mind on the exhortations that come from the pulpit, but just as much on the example that comes from the practices of their leaders. Um, You are to consider, it says there, their their actions, their their faith lived out. That's what the King James Version word conversation means. It means their way of living. Consider that. Let me tell you, it is a disciple of Jesus destroying thing when the word of God does not go forth from the pulpit, when that is not the predominant way that God's people are led. Uh, And the word of God can be obstructed terribly when it isn't practiced by the one standing behind it. Now on the converse, (laughs) when a Christian leader's life lines up with the word of God, well, there's a powerful life-transforming effect that the Holy Spirit uses to lead others to Christ, to grow them in Christ, to conform them to the image of Christ. And so when I read verse 7 and and later on in this passage as well, when it talks about obeying your leaders, what a convicting message for church leadership. That's what I see here. Far from being a, y'all need to get in line with uh, what I'm saying or the vision God has given me or where I think God wants to take us. Far from being a message to the congregation, I feel the weight of God in verse 7 saying to the clergy, to all church leadership, to his under shepherds, y'all need to get in line with my word and you need to give out my word and you need to have your behavior line up with my word and how you live so that you can lead my flock to me. And how many lives have been destroyed because this message to church leaders has gone unheeded? And how many faiths have been put on pause, their growth anyway? How many faiths have been deconstructed because what a pastor said didn't jive with what he did because his preaching and his practice were not identical? It happens, though, doesn't it? It does. It's wrong. And it wounds the testimony and mission of the church all the time. And because it happens... And if it has happened or one day it does happen to you, please remember who you really follow. Who do you really follow? God. You follow Jesus Christ, your superior Savior. Please do not elevate this pulpit or this preacher or that one or that one or your deacons. Do not elevate them beyond what God's word says to do. Uh, It's our commitment as your pastors to live out these truths. But God says to you, Christian, here in the next verse, he says, follow Jesus Follow your Lord, because he's an unchanging foundation. Sometimes I think, I talk, I might even act one way one day and feel different the next. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. I'm human. Um, I battle temptations, just like you do. I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. But you know who who doesn't change ever? God, Jesus Christ. That's what verse 8 says. Jesus Christ, he's the same (laughs) yesterday and today and, and forever. I love it when we sing it. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Follow your unchanging shepherd. What a comfort to have one. Follow your unchanging savior. Wanda sang about it in a lyric this morning. But the love that he had for you in eternity past, before you were even born, before he said, let there be light, he set his heart on you. And that same love for you, he has it this morning, right now as you sit in that pew. And and that love will be there for you next year and on into eternity future. So when your Christian leaders fail, please never forget that Jesus hasn't. And he doesn't and he won't. 
Um, so yeah, follow your Christian leaders, like it said to in verse 7, and it will later on, as long as they're following the word of God in sermon and in action, but, but never follow anyone away from God's word or away from Christ. Because in Jesus, the message of verse 8 is you have an unchanging foundation. Now that's important because when you have that, you also have an unchanging faith. And that's what verses 9 through 14 talk about. When we obey what God has commanded to us to do so far here in chapter 13, uh, when Jesus is our unchanging foundation, we will also have an unchanging faith. Let me read uh, verse 9 for you. It says, Be not carried away with divers and strange doctrines, for it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. When that happens, you will recognize when some teaching or message or action or vision by a church leader, you'll recognize when it doesn't line up with God's word. When divers, as it says here, divers, different, various, or strange doctrines come your way. Whew, we got a lot of those today in this world. Even in the professing church, um, just like they did back then. And, and honestly, um, they don't typically change much. Satan just tends to recycle the same ones over and over in different formats. Um, stay in grace. That's what it says there. Don't be carried away with divers and strange doctrines. Verse 9, for it is a good thing that your heart be established with grace. Stay in grace. Guard the gospel. That's the message of verse 9. The, the reason for this command is because of the threats that false doctrines and other gospels have in our lives. Some of Satan's primary tools and tactics um, to, to distract Christians, to uh, make them impotent in being on mission, from growing in Christ, they include getting Christians hung up on supposedly the newest, latest, diverse, or strange doctrine. So stay in grace. That's what he says there. Let your heart be established, firm in, in grace. Uh, guard the gospel. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. The problem here, that this church, that this was originally written to, as well as, honestly, most of the churches in the New Testament, um, this problem was addressed at, at some point or another. It was one of adding to the gospel. I mean, that's the main threat that's been addressed for 13, 12 chapters now, uh, was a temptation for these ethnically Jewish Christians who were being persecuted. <laughs> Christianity um, became not fun because it became dangerous and painful. Uh, and so they had a temptation uh, to return back to uh, Judaism wrongly believing that its ritualistic religious practices, keeping the law, would result in their salvation or their being reconciled to God. And um, that's what verses 9 to 14 warn against. Don't go back to all those rules, those rituals. Don't go back to that old altar. Listen, when persecution or temptation comes our way, uh, this is the message that God has given us for 12 chapters in Hebrews. Um, or when some church leader disappoints you or fails you. That is not an indication for you to jump ship, to abandon your faith. No, stay in grace. That's what verse 9 says. Guard the gospel. Because we have a, a new altar. It's the cross of Christ. Let's read the rest of verse 9. So be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have occupied therein. Again, I'm talking about going back to a ritualistic law 
of Judaism that they were saved out of. Verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. He's talking about the cross of Christ. We're going to see that in a minute. For the bodies of those beasts, now he goes back to talking about what happened in the Old Testament under the law. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, they're burned without the camp. So wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. I'm going to pause there. The day of atonement is what's being described in those last few verses. Um, that day that was commanded by God's people in the Old Testament, one, one time a year, um, where the high priest would take the blood of a, a sacrificial goat and he would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the altar. And the body of that goat, because it was unholy and it had symbolized bearing the sin of all God's people, was taken outside. Couldn't, couldn't even be in the tabernacle, the tent, the, the camp. It had to be taken outside and burned. What a different picture we have in Christ. That's the emphasis of these verses. Um, None of those Old Testament sacrifices could save. Um, and it was Jesus who they led outside Jerusalem, wasn't it? Outside the camp. It was him that they deemed holy un or unholy and rejected. Uh, to those persecuted Christians then and to us today, the message of verses 13 and 14 is that we are to follow our Lord there. That's what it says. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him, unto Jesus, without the camp, outside of the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We're to follow Jesus Christ, our superior Savior, outside the camp. When you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, think back to that day you did that, that moment when you asked him to save you. You realized you were a sinner. You confessed your sin, and you put all of your faith in being saved in what Jesus did for you. Remember that time right now. When that happened, that moment, a great and lifelong separation began. You were plucked out of the kingdom of darkness. You were transplanted into the kingdom of his dear son. Uh, you were separated. And Jesus was rejected by this world. Got just a, one verse here that talks about that. And being taken outside the camp to be crucified as something unholy and, and rejected. Well, if he was, well, disciple of Jesus Christ, you will be as well. And God's telling these people who are being persecuted and who are being rejected for their faith, you should expect that. That happened to the one you follow. It will happen to you. Follow your Lord outside the camp. So it says in verse 13, Charles Spurgeon was said in one message, if I take the easy way, I can have no fellowship with him. A sorry life my master had. Follow your Lord outside the camp. If you can dwell with the wicked, if you can live as they live, if their practices are your practices, if their pleasures are your pleasures, well, then their God is your God. There is no being a Christian without being shut out of the world's camp. Follow your Lord outside the camp. Now, that is not an easy thing to do, is it? Do you like being rejected? I don't. you like being mocked? I don't. I like people to love me. Don't you like people to love you? I mean, I would want that. I don't, I don't want to cause problems. I don't want to ruffle feathers. But they rejected my Lord. And if I'm going to follow him, um, I have to follow him outside the camp. 
And because that's hard to do, we have this encouragement. Verse 14. That camp, that city, that's not even our city. No, verse 14 says that we seek one to come. That we have one to come. Like back in chapter 11, verse 10, said of Abraham, holding him up as an example for our faith. We wait for the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So won't it be worth it? That's why that's held out to us as an encouragement. Isn't heaven and eternity worth it? Isn't heaven and who is there forever worth it all? It is. Keep going. Don't turn back. Follow your Lord outside the camp. Bear his reproach. Don't turn back. When you do that, when you follow your leaders as they lead you in the word of God, when you follow your Lord, in doing so, you will fulfill your life. Jesus is worth it. And so our, our life response, because he is, should be praising him. That is our purpose, doxology. You are here on earth to glorify God. Every single person that enters this world. Everything that God created exists for God to be glorified. That is what we are supposed to do. How do we usually do? What is a human record? Now let's go back to Genesis, right? <laughs> Chapter 3. We didn't do so well from Adam and Eve on. Um, fulfilling that purpose of glorifying God, um, we haven't done so well with that. And as a result, we don't experience a very fulfilling life most of the time. But God sent Jesus to fix that, to give new life and eternal life to everyone who would trust in who he is and what he did for them to save them from their sins. And those who have received his salvation, those who have been reborn, we are to respond to God's amazing grace to us in Jesus Christ by aligning ourselves with our original purpose, God's original purpose for us. It is to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That is our purpose. If you go on our church website, if you look on our documents, that is our purpose. Literally, we didn't come up with that from God's word. And we stole it from, I think, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but they stole it from God's word, right, Daniel? So that's our purpose. You want to know why you're here? You might talk to someone who doesn't know Christ. And you're like, why? What's the purpose of life? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Every single person, that's what you're here for. They don't know the Lord. They're not going to be able to do that. But Christian, you who do, we, we should align ourselves constantly uh, with that purpose. Only Jesus makes this possible. Look at verse 15. So by him, by Christ, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We don't offer animal sacrifices like they did back then, like the last couple of verses have talked about. The disciple of Jesus, we are to Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, we're to offer our whole selves uh, to God as a sacrifice of worship to him. But for here in verse 15, it says we're to do that continually and hereby offering a sacrifice of praise that comes from our lips. That is our purpose. Glorify God. That's why you and I exist. That's why you were born and if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that's why you've been reborn. That's why he saved you. Just like a lot of people wonder, well, what are we here for? I wonder a lot of times, why did God save me? Nothing in me good did he see. He saved me so that I would glorify him. 
Only through Jesus can we do this. That is your purpose, doxology, praising God. How would your day be different if you were reminded of that before your feet hit the floor? How would your day be different if you were reminded that, and I'll give you an example for me, when I'm sitting in traffic or when I have to drive in Fayetteville, that my purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That will make my day different. I'll give you one for my wife. How, how would your day be different if you're in a meeting that could have and should have been an email, that you're here to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Write that down so that when you wake up tomorrow, that's the first thing you think about. Write that down so that when you're in the car and you're wondering how these people ever got a driver's license, you remember that. Write that down. That is your purpose, that, that continually you are to offer that Worship to God. It's the fruit of your lips. Now, um, our lips are just a part of ourselves, not all of ourselves. So in verses 16 and 19, the praise also needs to emanate from our lives. Verse 16 calls the disciple of Jesus Christ to do what he did, to do good. The King James says communicate. So yeah, definitely meaning share the gospel, share this news with others, point people to him. But it really, it's talking about sharing, uh, it's like tangibly meeting uh, whatever needs Others might have, just like Jesus did. Jesus' follower, that's how you worship him. Not just with your lips, with your lives. And then verse 17, it reminds us to obey and submit to the church leaders God has set over us. It says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, so that they must do it with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. If I thought verse 7 was rough, this one's a little bit more, right? But no, it's not. Remember the context from verse 7. You are to remember, you are to consider your leaders regarding their exhortations, the word of God spoken to you, regarding their example. It's the word of God being what you are to be led in and led by, to be led to Christ, to be conformed to their image. Please understand this and remember this. You are to follow the man of God as far as the word of God. That's what God expects of you. Follow the man of God as far as the word of God. Make sure that, that whatever he says and whoever it is, that it lines up with God's word. If it does, well, really, who are you obeying and submitting to? God's word. <laughs> you're obeying and submitting to God. And that's what every disciple of our superior Savior must do. When your Christian leaders are doing what they're commanded to do here, give out God's word, lead you to God's word, lead you in God's word, when we're doing what we're commanded to do here, and when you are doing what you are commanded to do here, obey God's word, live like a disciple of Jesus, continually with your lips and your lives, praise him, there will be great joy. There will be. That's my testimony here at Dublin First Baptist. And I thank you for it. Now, I've only been here about, what, three and a half? Three and a half years. It's nothing but joy. Ain't there joy in serving Jesus? There is. I love it. Um, yeah, there's joy. I, have, I pray it's contagious. I love preaching. I love teaching. I love every aspect of, of what I do here. Uh, I pray that you who serve in this church, that you have joy in teaching, and that you have joy in your teacher, 
that you have joy, those of you who serve in kids' ministry or, or uh, in youth or on some committee. I pray you have joy. I love serving the Lord. There's joy in serving Jesus. I have joy uh, when I'm with a hospitality committee and I'm drying a dish or two and then I'm bugging Tissy and the other ladies, where does this go? Where does this go? Where does this go? I have joy. I don't know if they do. There's joy in serving Jesus. If we look, um, as we go into the next part of, of verse 17, you know, way back in Genesis, Cain, Cain defiantly and defensively responded to God's inquiry. He, he had murdered his brother, Abel. And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? He was. We are. We're each other's keeper. The pastor or, or the church leader is. See, see, not only am I going to give account to God one day for what I do and what I do for you, to lead you, um, I'm also going to give account for what you do. Now, I might not be on my job. I'm pretty sure it's not on my job description here. But it is on my job description here. In the middle of verse 17. It's what God says. As they that must give an account. I do it with joy right now. I do. Will you help me remain in joy? And stand in joy on that coming day when I have to give an account before him? Verses 18 and 19 are a prayer request. Um, and specific to the human author God inspired to write this and also to that church. But I just ask, will you add this for your church leaders to your prayer list? I, I hope you pray for us. If you don't, please add us. Pray that with, it's like it says here, with a good conscience and, and an honest living that all your church leaders, not just me, Pastor Tommy, Pastor Daniel, your deacons, committee heads, uh, committee members, pray that uh, we can lead you in the way that God puts forth in his word because we need your prayers. We need your love. We need your grace. We need your wisdom. We need your spiritual gifts put to use to build the church for the glory of God. We need you, your joy. We need you having joy in serving Jesus. I thank you for the way that this church honors and follows and obeys and submits to our leading, leading you to and leading you in God's word. So keep on, disciples of Jesus, and please pray that in exhortation and teaching, you God's word and an example that we declare the life-transforming word of God, and, and that's all we do. Thank you for following us, but always, always follow your Lord. Follow your superior Savior. Only follow us as we follow him, because he's your firm foundation. Your superior Savior, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. Stay in grace. Guard the gospel. Guard it diligently. Be on guard against divers and strange doctrines. And church, fulfill your life. <laughs> That's what I want most for you. Because you're only going to find true fulfillment in following Jesus and being his disciple. So, so in your word and in your works, be Jesus to others. Yeah, do, do good. Communicate. Share with those who are in need that God brings your way. What a powerful gospel testimony that points others to him because they see him in you and they see you serving him and they see you serving him with joy. With joy. So as Tommy comes to lead us in a hymn of invitation, if the Holy Spirit is moving you this morning, maybe to get something right, maybe to change a direction, maybe just a commitment. God, I, I want to live in joy, I want to serve you with joy. However God has used his word, 
to call you to respond today, I just ask that you'd obey.